listening to Shoot It Now, your weekly podcast about indie filmmaking and big-budget films with award-winning filmmaker Craig Newland. And welcome to another Shoot It Now podcast. My guest today is a German filmmaker who started out in 2003 with her first film and has been busy making projects ever since. She is a writer, director and producer who has recently made a film that was selected as Germany's entry into the category of Best Foreign Film for the 2021 Academy Awards. Julia von Heinz, welcome to Shoot It Now. Hi, Craig. Thank you for having me. Nice to have you on the show. I believe that you're currently in Berlin. First question's got to be, how have you been coping with the COVID? Whew, it's, oh, it's awful, you know, and I was so beaten by it. My film started in October 29th in the German cinemas and the shutdown was on November 3rd. So we had four days of release and everybody wanted to see that film. And you know how it is. Sometimes you make films and you really hope some audience will come and see it. And I don't know. But in this case, I had the film everybody wanted to see and we couldn't show it to them. We had four days of screenings, sold out screenings, sometimes midnight screenings that were sold out. And now nobody can see it. And yeah, that hurts. What's going to happen with the release? Is it going to, when things get back to hopefully some sort of normality next year, are they looking to bring it back into the cinema? We hope that, of course. Now we hope for March. But you know how it is. A campaign, it costs so much money. And we put so much money into advertising and all that. And this is lost. So there is some loss. And I feel that loss. But I'm sure people will see that film and maybe it will not be in the cinema. Maybe it will be a streamer, which is sad. I guess the upside, though, Julia, is that you did manage to complete your film. There are some films around the world that even got three quarters of the way completed with their shooting, and they will never be finished. They basically had everything pulled from under them. You are so right. And also, I was so lucky because I was in the competition in Venice. And now when I look back, that was like a window in this horrible year. There was this summer window and it was so beautiful in Venice. And I could be there with my actors, with my team and celebrate the film in this great festival. So you are right. I'm very lucky. And we'll talk about that Venice in just a moment. But first, I want to ask you, how hard has it been making independent film in Germany for, let's say, over the last five years? I have made both. I have made very commercial films and I have made independent films. And I always had the feeling that I could make my independent films because I had shown I reach an audience and people can earn money with my films. So that was important that I showed that. And so sometimes I had the feeling I have to make one commercial film and earn one independent film with that. So this was my uh, was my rhythm in the last, let's say, 10 years. But now I'm now I'm in my mid 40s. And I feel like I have not so many films I can do in my life. And I really want to make only films that I really, really want to make and tell stories that are important for me. So probably I will try to make yeah, only the films that I write and that I really want to tell. 
Well, your latest film, And Tomorrow, The Entire World, is a story about young activists taking part in the German anti-fascist movement. Now, this is a real personal story to you with a very passionate voice coming through your direction of the film. And I wonder if you could uh, maybe lay out some of the landscape in Germany around the subject matter, especially for our American listeners to understand some of your motivations on wanting to make the film. I was in that anti-fascist movement um, in the 90s and neo-fascism was all new then for us. When the wall came down, suddenly there were Nazis on the streets and we it, it was shocking for us, of course, with our German history. So um, there were a lot of anti-fascist groups in the 90s and I met my husband there. His name is John. He co-wrote this film and many others with me. He's from New Zealand, by the way. Then we, I don't know, it was a very intense time, 10 years of our life. And then we started filmmaking um, and yeah, that took over. We started to have a family, but we never forgot that time. And we always had the feeling we have to make a film about it and show people how important and intense this time was. And we started to make a historical film. We wrote a film that played in the 90s. And it was very difficult to finance that and to explain to partners uh, why it is important. And in 2015, suddenly something changed in the society. We had all these refugees, probably you saw it in the news. And mm. the right wing parties became very strong again, especially one uh, party, which was very strong suddenly. And we realized this is not a story anymore. Um, so. We put it in the here and now and um, we rewrote that script and we did a lot of research with anti-fascist groups now. They hadn't changed so much. And then we finally were able to finance that film and to make clear that it is, yeah, an important film. So really the reason that you changed it from the 1990s to present day was that fascism, the movement, had just become stronger than what it was back in the 1990s. It's obviously a very quite dark film with right-wing attacks, houses were burnt down, uh, killings took place. Yes, unfortunately, the fascism has just escalated. Yes, that is what's happening. I mean, I had a montage in my film, like in Blackland's Clan, with documentary stuff, things that are at the moment happening in Germany. But we, we couldn't stop editing. It was like Every day something new is happening and we had to re-edit and re-edit again. So that was a crazy time in the March of last year where people got killed. Nine people were shot in a shisha bar by a Nazi and so on and so on. So we really decided we have to say we don't do that. We don't put that documentary stuff in. We do it more timeless and also we couldn't don't know, re-edit and re-edit again and again. So it's a really big problem. And of course, COVID stopped it a little bit, I have the feeling, but it's still a very strong movement now. So 
How long did it take you to put all of the pieces together and go into production? Because you did mention that this took some time for those pieces to come together and to get the finance. And I guess importantly was that it was evolving, wasn't it? It was constantly an evolving story. You talk about the editing. That was the reason for it, because things just rapidly kept changing. Um, it was still very difficult to finance. I mean, we are talking about like 20 years that I'm trying to make that movie. I started with that um, historical piece about the 90s. When we noticed no one wants to finance it, we did a documentary about um, old friends from the anti-fascist movement. We wanted to make a film about how can you bring that ideas and that idealism into your life when you get older and when you get an adult or have a family again we didn't find money for that and then when we made the decision to put it in the here and now it took us again like six six years five years to finance it we had like 11 um, partners here fifty thousand hundred thousand euros here 300 here and wow it took us so long to bring that all together but we had very strong partners then. We had um, the public television from Germany. We had Arte, which is a television station that support independent cinema. And we had the um, uh, cinema support. It's the funding. Yeah, we had funding. In terms of the previous financing and the financiers saying no, there was obviously this scared element within the financing people were scared of the material no one said it directly but i heard <laughs> different things i mean sometimes i heard the film is so political and it's so um isn't it better for the television because you have a subject and a cinema movie it will take you so long and perhaps tomorrow the situation is all different you better tell it for television I don't know. I wouldn't know who would show that film on television. So um, I heard that. Ah, no one said it directly, but I can see that Germany, although we have a very, uh, I don't know, we have so much going on here in our society, there are not so many films about it. We have, of course, Fatih Akin with his films and he reacts to political um, situations and we have Hans Weingarten, and that's about it. All the other political films are more in the television. In the Tatort, which you mentioned, for example, they try to uh, have yeah political themes in their in their um, in their show. But in the cinema, we don't find it that much. Not like in France. Well, congratulations on sticking to your guns, Julia, because many people would have given up after the first 10 years, especially being told one thing after another. They may not have said that they were scared of the material, but I can guarantee you there was an underlying currency of financiers really troubled by what may affect them and their business if they are known to have funded your film. So I think, you know, tip the hat off to you because you kept going. A lot of people would, would have given up. You're right. And it's true. For example, we just had that the right-wing party, it's called AFD, they made a little question to the government, and that is a political mean. They ask a little question, and so the government has to answer them. And so they asked, how could 
a film like that be financed? And how can it be chosen to represent Germany for the Oscars? So it's already in the government and they had to answer it. But I read the answer today from the German government and it's great because they said this is in our constitution and this is in our law and it's the freedom of art. I was so great. happy to read that. Yes. Great, great. The freedom of art. Perfect answer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was perfect. I was so relieved. I thought that there was a lot of kinetic energy with the way that you shot your film, all handheld stuff, uh, never far away from the lead's face. And I noted there weren't that many wide shots, obviously deliberate on your part to, to draw us in closer to the action, Julia. That was a decision that I made very early with my cinematographer, Daniela, for the audience never to know more than Luisa in my film. I mean, we only want to see what she sees, but I mean, how can she see a wide shot? And she's part of that wide shot. It's not possible. So if we only shoot what she can see, there can't be a wide shot with her, of course. And we always move with her. We really try to imitate how someone would look or some, how someone would watch the things around her. And there's only one wide shot. And that's after the Nazi song. When she hears that Nazi song and it's shocking for her and it's sort of, she's been in the heart of the monster and she's so alone and none of her friends is with her anymore. Then we show her in a wide shot and she's very small. But that's only once. And I really wanted to, yeah, to show how important that moment is by really having a wide shot only once in that film. I think it's very, very difficult to bring life into a film because the whole situation on a film set, it, it's so stressful and it's so much easier to have, I don't know, your lamps and all that and you, you stick marks on the ground and you tell your actors to stand there so you can control that stress. It's easier, but ah, sometimes it's so lifeless. In this um, film, especially, it was so important that it breathes, that all the dynamic that she feels and the unrestness and I don't know, all this... Um, we really wanted to bring that in the film language, and that was a lot of work. I, th I think you definitely achieved that. So instead of being rigid, which I think is what you're talking about with uh, putting marks on the ground, you sort of opened it up a little bit and it just sort of had this this freewheeling going on. Yeah. Um, yes, it was difficult for my cinematographer because it was clear for her that she has to follow the actors and not the actors will follow her or listen to her where to stand or where, or where to go. So she had to be so awake during the whole time. And it was not 360 degrees, but it was at least 180 degrees of freedom of movement for the actors. And I wanted them to be able to be very spontaneous and really walk and go wherever they wanted to go. And I think my cinematographer did a great job. She had to stick together with the actress. They were a team because every shot was either over the shoulder of my protagonist. She had to follow her with the camera or it was the other way around, her face seeing everything and her reaction. So very, very often Daniela, my cinematographer, had to go backwards in front of my actress 
yeah to just walk with her it was like a dance but they fit together very well so i think they really managed yes the cinematographer daniela and your actor they were fused into one another yes. thing i wanted to ask you about was how did you stage some of those bigger set pieces because i think the the film budget was a limited one but you really did sell those those big shots with plenty of people in them as extras. It must have been a, a case of getting all of your friends and family and anybody that you knew to get in there on the day. It looks more than there are because if you don't have the wide shots, it really helps you that it looks like there are much more people and we could shoot a party or a demonstration with much less people than you usually have for a situation like that. So our camera concept made that possible, but still we needed a lot of people. And you are right. I mean, we didn't have that much money. It was a low budget film, but we had so much support. We shot in Mannheim. It's a small city in Germany. And John, my husband and I, we went there many times to talk to the people of that project where we shot. It's a it's more a cultural and art project, not so much a left-wing center like we used it in the film. And there were like 20 people, young people who run that project. And one of them became my assistant and he knew everybody in Mannheim. So he started quite early to yeah go through the streets, ask everyone to join in. We couldn't pay them very well. Sometimes we couldn't pay at all. And, but we told them, about the story and what we are telling here and it was also in the middle of the um, of the voting the real votings were going on in Mannheim to that moment so it all came together our story about the right-wing party and the real right-wing parties with their with their campaigns <laughs> and yeah it was a very strange situation during the shooting but we managed to bring all those people for little money and I think everybody who joined in didn't do that because of money. No one from the team, no one uh, from the actors, because they could have earned much more somewhere else. But all that passion and energy, I can see it now. Yeah, they made the film so lively. And how many days, Julia, did you have to shoot the film? We had 30, 36 days we had. And did you feel that that was enough time to tell your story? In the beginning, I always wish for more. And I always think, wow, that's a tough day and we won't manage. But I think we managed and we didn't shoot too much. There was nothing which is, there's no shooting which is not in the film. That didn't happen. But yeah, I don't know. It's more than one year ago now. And I have the feeling it's okay. It was good for that. I don't know what I would have done with more days now. <laughs> It's not your personal story, but you were affected, as we mentioned, back in the 1990s on what was going on in Germany. How many of your motivations and emotions were cross-threaded and woven into this story? Quite a lot. Quite a lot. Probably every person in the film refers to someone we know, John and I, or is a mix mixture of people or real people we know. 
a lot of situations, we experience them, I experience them. I come from a family which is noble, but not in the way like Louisa. I totally dramatized that. I never shot a gun, uh, for example, like this family. But I know that environment quite well. And I know that it's strange to come as a person with that background to an Antifa group and that you sometimes feel ashamed for that. I know how it is to be attracted by a guy. I know how it is to have very strong female friendships in that um, in that group. And um, so there is a lot of personal stuff in the film. But of course, we had to tell an entertaining film. So we had to add a lot of stuff like them finding explosives and so on. That never happened to me. Now, I can guarantee you that there will be somebody listening to the podcast, Julia, that is in the middle of writing a screenplay, which is political. What would you say to anybody now that you've been through this whole process, somebody starting out with a political film? Are there any key messages that you could pass on to independent filmmakers? Yeah, it was the most important process for me was don't try to educate your audience. Don't try to give them a message. This is so boring. We don't want that. This is why we read a newspaper, for example, but we go to a film because we want to open up our mind and we want to ask ourselves questions and not to get answers like in a propaganda film. And I really had to learn that when I was in the Antifa group and I wrote the first draft of the script, I was so sure who is good and who is bad. And this is, I wanted to tell the people my truth. And I was so convinced about that truth. And this film would have been so boring. And it took me years to find out that this truth doesn't exist and that there is not the good Antifa group full of nice people and the bad, bad Nazis. It's so much more complicated. And this makes the film interesting. And whoever is writing a political film should be precise and not to have that message in his or her mind, but to be precise and to talk about people, not about politics. So it is a political film. So at least I get to ask one political question. And that is, I'm really interested on your position on Donald Trump. When he started trying to connect Antifa to criminal activity, I thought that I had misheard what he was saying on news media in the US, as I thought he was referring to the fascists' right. But it became a constant theme of what he was saying. And as a filmmaker, I'm interested, what did you make of that, given that you've made a film about the subject on both sides and you're closer on the ground to the reality of the truth? I, I remember when I first read his tweet and I made a screenshot and sent it to my producer and I said, look, so many people asked us, does Antifa even exist? And now look at that tweet from Donald Trump. So in a way, and this sounds awful, it helped me. It helped me um, yes. that, <laughs> that someone said, yes, Antifa exists and uh, it's real because many people uh, doubted that. So that is one point. On the other side, I found it horrible because how can he criminalize anti-fascism? I hope if I uh, would talk to Donald Trump, if he was against fascism, 
he would say yes. I mean, the the his boys, the soldiers from the U.S. who came to Germany uh, in 1945 and fought fascism, they were anti-fascists. And I mean, how could he say they're criminal? I did read at the time, especially a lot of people from Germany saying that it was just ignorance, that he didn't know what he was really talking about with his reference to Antifa. I'm not really sure. I, I read as much as I could about it and I try tried to understand what kind these groups are in, in, in the US. It's a little bit different than in Germany, probably. It has a different history. We have Antifa groups since the late 80s, late uh, 1980s. And in US, it seems to be something um, a little bit newer. And since you've been screening your film and people have taken away the message and the danger of what is happening with fascism, has there been any voices from people who have seen the film asking themselves what they personally can do? In other words, any groundswell where people are affected enough to really start questioning things to a point of being motivated into doing something? Yes, I had very little screenings because of the COVID situation, but I had some and I had some screening with young people and this is especially important for me. And I have the feeling that it motivates them to ask themselves, what can we do? Because if you hear that songs and if you see the Nazis and it makes you very clear how dangerous this is. So yeah, people reacted the way that way or they felt guilty because they didn't do anything so far. I really want to say we have a very strong democracy. Of course, the film tells that there's too much connection between police, army and right-wing um, structures. And that is true. But I'm convinced our democracy is much stronger. And what I told you before, the answer of the government. So this is Germany today, I hope. And the film is clearly about the problems on the right, but you were also leaning a little against the left. So yes. it wasn't just all about the right. We see white privileged people on the left fighting against the Nazis. I thought that you really probed and asked questions on both sides. Yes. And this is what took me so many years to be precise here and to say, yes, it is mostly white privileged people and they can decide from one day to the other to stop being activists, to leave that group. For example, Alpha, the guy she's attracted to, we find out he's the loudest one, he's the most active one. But when it becomes very, very serious and when it becomes clear that this will change his life, he pulls back and he stops and he has his father with a lawyer to get him out. So. This was very important for me to tell that side and not to say, oh, they are like heroes and they do whatever there is to be done. It's not true. And have you been surprised by the universal appeal of the film, given that the film was invited to the Venice International Film Festival? Because it's a very German-specific story from a relatively unknown small city, even though it has a much wider consequence. Yes, I was. I thought I had made a German film or even a West German film. And I talked to like 70 journalists in this three days in Venice. 
from Belgium, Poland, France, Italy, UK, USA, and they all said it could be a film made in their country about their, the situation in their country. It was not so surprising for me because, of course, I read the newspapers. I, I know what's going on in the world, but I didn't know that they would feel that after seeing the film. I was surprised about it. And congratulations, because it was announced that your film is Germany's pick for the Best International Feature Film for the 2021 Academy Awards next April. Uh, the selection was announced by German Films, an organisation that represents the country's film industry abroad. And I picked up on one of the jury spokespersons who said, and I quote, at a time when democracy is coming under increasing pressure, Julia von Heinz poses the question of whether, and if so, when violence is justified or even necessary. How do you feel about that, Julia, given you thought that you were telling, to begin with, uh, somewhat of a regional story? That was huge for me. That was huge. And um I hope they are right that they picked me and <laughs> I do everything for that campaign at the moment. It's very difficult, of course, because of COVID. I can't travel to Los Angeles and yeah, be there with my film and accompany the screenings. I do it online. And um, yeah, I was so proud. And I think all the great feedback in Venice helped me to be chosen here. So how does it feel, though, to be a nominee for the Academy Awards? Wow, it's, yeah, it's huge. The, the message came when I, um, when I stood in front of an audience on a small local film festival and my telephone rang and it was my producer and I knew the decision was made five minutes ago. So I told the audience, I'm so sorry, I have to answer that. And I answered the phone and they said, Fabian, tell me. And he said, yeah, it's us, it's us. <laughs> I had to share that immediately. It was huge. And of course, everybody applauded. I've made some films now. It's my uh, seventh long film. So I didn't expect that actually to be possible. It, it was very surprising for me. I don't think anybody makes a film, Julia, with the intent of uh, trying to <laughs> trying to get a nod <laughs> into the Academy Awards. You were probably thinking that you won gold by getting into the Venice International Film Festival. And I just want to go back to that event because how how thrilling was that for you to be sitting in a cinema in Venice with your film screening there? It was amazing. Um, it, yeah, it was eight of the young actors came and it was still difficult, you know. We also were in this COVID situation, even in the summer. But it was possible to bring them all there. And this was so important for me to share that moment on the red carpet. And I had one horror moment in the screening because the English subtitles suddenly were away. And <laughs> I had put off my shoes because they were high heels. So I was barefoot running down the stairs <laughs> in, this, in Venice in the cinema trying to find the person who could fix that. I didn't find anyone. <laughs> and then I came back. So it was a little bit stressful. No one had even noticed, by the way. It was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, and then we had standing ovations. So we stood there and we all had our arms around each other. And it was like it didn't stop. It was like 10 minutes and it was I don't know. It probably was the most special moment in my 
career, I have to say so, yes. What a thrill, a Julia. Yeah, what a thrill. What a thrill. What a thrill. And then suddenly all the all the years and all the heartache and trying to finance the film, it all just sort of disappears when you're in that moment of absolute adulation for the film. Yes, yes, that's true. But, I mean, like you say, you can't know that. That can't be the reason why you make a film. It has to be so important for you. Otherwise, you don't have the strength to yeah to wait and to cope with the denials because you get so many no's and so many letters that explain you why this film is not worth to be made i mean yeah i have so many of these letters and um yeah i keep them it's it's um it's good for me not to throw them away but to, to keep them and to yeah to understand um why it was such a long way well, it's great motivation, isn't it? You just need to yes. go into those letters and read them and go, well, you were wrong. You know, <laughs> you were wrong, you, yes. You, exactly. you were wrong, but I almost bought into what you were telling me because it's that old thing. You get told something enough times, you start to believe it. That was the fact. Sometimes I really thought they are right and no one is interested in that story and in that world. But it was very good that there were two of us, you know, it was John and me and we believed in it together. So after perhaps four weeks of thinking, okay, no one wants to see that, no one is interested, you lay there in the bed and you say, but it's so good, we should try again. <laughs> and what about calling him and what about writing a letter to that person? And or you meet someone and you have a conversation and someone is interested and yeah, that brings it up again. And it was very important for me to have that production company with my colleagues. Like you told me you met Hank in your pod, um, podcast yes. and he has X-Filmer together with three directors and one producer and we followed them. We did the same thing. We are the seven elephant and it's three directors and one producer like X filmer and they gave me so much strength because we made that production company and we talked about what projects will be our first projects and who has what ideas so i told about that idea and my colleagues david and eric said yeah when you talk about that we feel all that passion this has to be your first film we are with you and it's so important to have a group. Your passion definitely comes through as you speak, Julia, and our indie filmmakers, I'm sure, listening to this podcast, you're galvanizing them into stealing up. If they've had the nose, I can, I can sense that they'll be buoyed up by your enthusiasm and your passion, which has led to some fantastic achievements so far with this film. Thank you. I really hope so. I really, I mean, I was not on a film school and I'm really used to get all that nose because I applied eight times at a film school and I always get a, got a no and I really learned since that you can't accept a no. Okay, if it comes three times, you have to accept it. But yeah, not after the first no. That's not enough. <laughs> I've got a saying and I've, I've had this for many, many years and that is, Embrace the word no, because the more no's that you get, the closer to a yes you are. <laughs> yeah, probably. Just picking up on the, the film school. So you didn't go to film school or you you did finally get no. into film school? 
No, I didn't manage. I tried it many times because I love film schools. Now I'm a professor and at a very important film school in Munich. I just love that environment. And teaching film is for me as great as making films. But I never um, was a student in a film school. I tried many times and always I got quite far. You know, they invited me and I had the um, interviews and all that. And sometimes I think that I was quite early a mother. And I think to that time, people didn't think a mother could be a director. So that stood in my way. So I really had to prove that I'm a good director by making short films and being on festival and winning awards. And so, no, I didn't go to a film school. Well, the irony of that is brilliant. The fact that you are now a professor teaching film at a film yeah. school. That, that's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, and I'm, I'm very strict because if someone is very comfortable and thinks he needs a lot of money for, for a student film, or I'm very strict. I say, no, you don't need money to, for that idea. You can do it <laughs> with everything <laughs> you have here. Before we go, I must uh, single out your actor, uh, Marla. I thought she, in your film, did a stunning job. Yes, yes. I uh, met her in, in a TV film that I made before about the wife of Martin Luther. And she was a small part there, a, a young nun. And yeah, she was so good there already. That was also with my cinematographer, Daniela. And Daniela, um, she was part of the dialogue when I did all the castings. I saw all the young actresses actually from Germany for that part, Luisa. And it was really Daniela who said, why don't you ask Mala? And she was right. So I invited Mala and she was great because Luisa, she has to be shy and insecure at the beginning of the film. And she has to be very tough in the end. And it was difficult to find an actress yeah, who can really do both. Some are very tough from the beginning and some are shy all the way, you know, and she really had both. I believe totally the Louisa from the beginning and the Louisa from the end of the film. And we couldn't shoot always chronologically. So she had to skip and yeah, she, she was perfect. Yeah. So well done, Marla. And what is next for you, Julia? What's coming up? Coming up is a film called Iron Box, and that's my international debut. And um, it will be shot with American actors, and I hope in January I can announce it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so you're, you're shooting in the U.S.? Um, part in U.S. and a big part in Poland. Again, a film like like many films of mine deal with the fact how the Holocaust affects the generations after. So this one, which we talked about and tomorrow, the entire world, they are fourth generation, but of course they have it in their mind. I made a film, Hannah's Journey. It's a third generation film and Iron Box is about a daughter and her father and they come to Poland and the daughter wants to know more about her roots. She's second generation. And it's a love story between actually daughter and father, love story like they really get to know each other and help to change each other's life. Well, Julia, it's been a great talk finding out about you as a writer, director, producer, filmmaker. The very best of luck in April for the 2021 Academy Awards for Best Foreign Film. 
and I'm looking forward to seeing your new film next year and everything else that follows after that. And thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today on Shoot It Now. Thank you so much. That was so nice. Thank you, Craig. You've been listening to Shoot It Now with Craig Newland, your weekly podcast about all things behind the camera and in front of it. Until next time, have a great week. 